Well, welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And it is great to be back in the podcast studio. You know, one of the things yes. that's nice about us recording on Mondays is we get a warm studio. Yes, that's you a good point. That? Yeah, yeah, it's very so nice. We have, have, you know, we've got these schedules built into our building, and, and this is on one side of the building that doesn't get used as much throughout the week, except for when we're down here podcasting and, yeah. you know, other events throughout the week. We kind of, right. you know, stewardship thing. We try to make sure the building's only heated when it's needed, right? Um, and so sometimes though, when we can't get that Monday podcast in, we have to be here on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It's it's brisk Cold. in here, so yeah. that's it's comfortable. It's yeah. nice because we just got our first real accumulation of snow up here. I know. In, uh, it feels late. It does. It does. Although we're still pre-Christmas. That's but, true. Yeah, yeah, but it's nice. It was nice to wake up to. Uh, it, was, it made it easier to get my girls out of bed this morning. Did it now? Yeah, to have some snow on the ground. There was some excitement. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not exciting for me last night wheeling my trash cans. Up. <laughs> well, the excitement was quickly dashed when they realized there wasn't enough snow on the ground. Oh. They still had to go to school, but right. Yeah, that's right. all right. Yeah. So welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, whether you're watching us on Spotify or YouTube, or you're listening to us on your podcast app, it's good to have you along. My name is Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And we are a father and son pastoral team serving a local church uh, north of Boston in the city of Methuen, Massachusetts. And uh, this podcast's goal is to give you insight into the things that pastors talk about uh, when they're not in a pulpit or in a lectern, right? right. The, the things right. that we, we still think through and ca- have conversations about that aren't necessarily sermon material or Bible study material, uh, but hopefully are things that we've we're, there's things we've discovered from either scripture or from life that helps us think more biblically about we our call surroundings. It informed opinion. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Not quite belief, yeah. but like informed opinion. Lots of opinion on this Lots podcast. Of. If you if you're a regular listener, yeah. you probably discovered that. Um, some of those opinions you resonate with. Some of them you know make you uncomfortable, and we love all of that. Yes. Um, so we're glad you're here with us. And uh, if you're new because a friend of yours was really great and they shared the podcast with you, shoot them a text and said, "Hey." I just started listening. Uh, thanks for sharing this great podcast with me. I appreciate that. Uh, we begin every uh, podcast with our theological term of the week. The theological term of the week. The theological term of the week is sacerdotalism. So, yeah, sacerdotalism. That, I sacerdotalism. Think most, I, I don't know. I don't know this for a fact because this this is a language we use as pastors. Um, but I would say that most theological terms that we use are ones that people have probably heard at some point, but don't necessarily know the full definition of it. And I'm willing to bet that sacerdotalism is not a term that most of our listeners have interacted with before. Yeah. Some people just like turned and stared at their dashboard at yeah. their Apple iPlay in their <laughs> car and said, what's he talking about? Yeah. yeah. I'm not even sure I can spell that properly. I wrote it in my yeah. notes. And there's a lot of blur. It's kind of a lot of blur. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Sacerdotalism. Yeah. And uh, so, so here you go. Sacerdotalism. We're in the, we're in the. The section of terms, if you will, that deal with uh, ecclesiology. So we're mm-hmm. talking about the church. Yeah. And church, how the church, I said that ecclesiology is how the church relates, polity is how the church relates to um, itself and how it finds common ground. Um, and sacerdotalism is a system of church, of church polity, if you will, that word we used in the last, mm-hmm. it's a system that defines itself around a 
priest and around those things that make people sacred. Hmm. Okay, so as kind of a a low church, um, you know, as far as you know, low church background, as far as our liturgy goes, there's a high church and low church, right? Yes. Have we talked about this yet? High church and low church and liturgy. We've we've referred to it a little bit, uh, but so I'll clarify that so that I can finish my thought, right? Yeah. So, um, high church is you know you um, traditions like Catholicism, but also in in the Protestant world, like the Anglicans or the Lutherans, um, or the um, um, I don't know, there's others, but the, those 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 high liturgy churches, where the you think of them as more rigid. There's a lot of robes involved right. and right. and uh, set prayers and the common, service is going but, to yeah. follow a very special a very specific pattern. From week to week and from year to year. Right. right. When low church would be <clears throat> more like, you know, if you think about your typical non-denominational church or, you know, something we have, like maybe you got your pastor in jeans or your or suit, you know, or a suit, suit right? Yeah. Even that, or like, you know, whether, you know, you might have your worship through piano and organ and choir or guitars and drum set, um, but it is less formalized right. than a high church view where you'd have like, Priest, altar boys, confessional, you know, rosaries, things like that. Right. Like there could be, like you associate more of right. those with the high church. Movement. So specific prayers, specific actions, uh, specific church calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to celebrate certain things throughout the calendar year on a moving basis in in a in a sacerdotal or high excuse me in a high church experience. Yeah, because e- there are there are high church experiences. They're not necessarily. Sacerdotal. sacerdotal. So that's what I was getting at. So right. yeah, so sacerdotal would be more on that um, Catholicism side of the high church experience. Yes. Right. Yeah. Where like an Anglican church, would you say an Anglican church would or would not be in that category? So this is fun, right? Because because yeah. I know of Anglicans who will use like prayer beads and stuff like that. That's yep. like a difference. But I'm not sure that they would necessarily have like a confessional booth or a so, priest. So if there are there are actually high church and low church. Uh, practices of the Episcopal and Anglican okay. community. In fact, there are even some um, Anglican churches where uh, when you enter the church, they usually have a sign that says, uh, just a very small sign that usually says, uh, we practice the presence of Christ, hmm. which is an Anglican way of saying our communion service is a full transubstantiation service. Which ah, okay. So we'll, we'll get, get into there. that yeah. a little later. But so you have high church, you have low church. Um, most people don't realize that the average Puritan. We we talk about Puritans here in the mid in uh, New England. Mm-hmm. That the average Puritan did not leave the uh, the Anglican Church, or excuse me, yeah, they didn't leave the Anglican Church. They stayed within it. Uh, it's a small faction of Puritans that came to New England as separatists and as Congregationalists. The average Puritan actually was a member of an Anglican church, and his his effort was to purify or make lower, really, mm. to remove the trappings, to remove the high church right. aspect of, of the, the church's liturgy, the Anglican liturgy. Mm. So there are many low church Anglican churches. Okay. Right? 
um, and there are many low church Episcopal churches. Mm -hmm. What you will have with both the Anglican, uh, with low church, high church, Anglican slash Episcopal movements, and I'm just going to use the word Anglican here from this point on because the word Episcopal is the word that we Americans attach to the Anglican church because we, if once we declared independence in 1776. It's hard to call the Church of England anymore, It's hard right? to be called the Church of England anymore. Yeah. So um, you, there's an exception to this rule, right? Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, Episcopalians and Anglicans are the same. Right. There's... Yeah, there are some distinctions, but yeah. overall, like there's a there is actually a contemporary change that takes place in that church, right? Yeah. Because um the Anglican Church, the Church of England, mm -hmm. um, has pretty much taken the same very liberal perspective as the uh as the uh Episcopal Church. There's, mm -hmm. you know, the permission of gay marriage, the permission of divorce, the uh appointment of of uh, a homosexual priesthood, a lowering of the sense and, and, and necessity of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, all of that exists, but what's happened, very interestingly enough, is that a church in Kenya, yeah, the Anglican Church of Kenya, uh, think that one through, this is an African country. Mm -hmm. So the Anglican Church of Kenya revolted against that whole very... Liberal bent. Liberal yeah. bent. And there are now Anglican churches springing up here in the United States. And they have the same sacerdotal effect. Mm -hmm. um, and the same polity. Same polity. They are predominantly white people who are joining these Anglican churches. But if you see a church that's an Anglican church as opposed to an Episcopal church... More than likely, it's part of the Anglican Church of Kenya mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they've taken a stand against yeah. uh, some very liberal and and uh, bad things that are coming into the church. Yeah, yeah. But right. back to sacerdotal. So, some, so there's some clarification. There's yeah, some of the just spectrum. Yeah, to clarify that. So sacerdotal, like I think you get it. The the initial association is you would think Catholicism here. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But any. So basically, any place where you have a priest mm -hmm. or a an elevated clergy who have the obligation of of taking people to God, mm. you have a sacerdotal polity. So to derail this again, yeah, is like would like an AME church consider their pastor? function in that priesthood role because there is that elevation of the pastorate yes yeah. um in a lot of black church american yeah. black churches right right and the ame is a very good example because what you have there again um an, an ame pastor is not actually called a pastor right it's a brother it, right he's a bishop or bishop that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yes so um in that sense yeah there's an elevation mm -hmm. of that man um this is interesting because, of course, the AME, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is what AME stands for, is a Methodist move. Now, we talked about Methodism mm -hmm. way back in the start of this series. Yep. We talked about how Methodists come out of the Episcopal Church, uh, the Anglican Church, depending on where you're—they mm -hmm. you know, come out of that church. 
Um, they have many of the same ideas. Um, interestingly enough, one, one of the things that leaves the AM, leaves it with the Methodist movement, is that whole sacerdotal concept. Sure. Like the Wesley brothers helped make right. that shift, well, right? Well, actually, so the big, guy, that? the big guy there is George Whitfield. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Whitfield actually comes very close to being defrocked mm -hmm. by, the, uh, by the Anglican church. Can you imagine? Because he, um, and, and this is the sacerdotal thing, right, and the high liturgy issue. Um, um, Whitfield develops, we, we talked about this years ago, you know, years ago. <laughs> yeah, years sure. Ago, right? Yeah, we've done this for a bit now. We've done this, but we'll take you back there, right? Whitfield, Whitfield thinks that the entire way that the gospel is preached should change. Mm -hmm. um, because prior to that point, there's a very monotone mm. proclamation of the gospel. Right, the words themselves should carry the conviction and the passion. That, right, there, right, there needed to be that separation from that passion of the clergy, like right. it was considered. Right, and the clergy, so the clergy would, would teach, they would teach with terms that the average individual didn't understand, and the goal was, the, the theory of the Anglican Church at the time was, well, if you don't understand us, then you need to improve your understanding, mm -hmm. which was, just became, especially in England, became an issue because you need to improve your understanding. But they don't have, they don't have a public education system that enables people to improve their understanding. And, and it's not, you're not going to see education reform um, until... The church does it. <laughs> well, you're not going to see educational reform until Victoria. Yep. So you know you've got uh, you've got uh, probably forty fifty years between George Whitfield and actual public education development, and maybe Whitfield is part of that in a sense because what Whitfield says is we need to we need to have a new method of expressing the gospel, and his new method in in, in it was communicating in terms that people understood. But also, it was communicating in places where people were. Mm. So Whitfield would go out on street corners and preach, mm -hmm. which just infuriated the Anglican Church because why? Why would you do that? Why yeah. would? Why would you take the gospel? To you're Congress? lowering. Yeah, you're lowering the holiness of God and the holiness of Scripture and the holiness of our faith. And at the same time, see, here's what here's the other thing that Whitfield's doing is he's he's um, he's challenging that priesthood of the Anglican Church, he's taking away the mystique, if you will, mm. of being a priest, of being the one who's going to carry, and that's, this is the concept of being a priest, right? You are the one who stands between God and mm -hmm. men. Right. And the Anglican priest stands between God and man, and he, he communicates to God. Now, we... Roman Catholic, same thing, right? right. You're, you're standing between God and man. Um, and uh, we call in one of the words that's often used for Pope, for mm -hmm. the Pope, uh, which comes from the term of father, Holy <laughs> Father, Popa, Papa. Mm -hmm. uh, another word that is often used for the Pope is the word pontiff. Right. Right. Um, and a pontiff is actually a Latin word for bridge. Yeah. Which is different than the defendant. Right. That's what I always think of. Right? That's, right. It's right. not plaintiff, it's not pontiff. Not plaintiff, it's yeah. pontiff. So yeah. the Pope is the pontiff. He is the bridge 
between mm-hmm. all of mankind and God, and the local priest is your local confessor. He's the local person who takes you or stands between you and God. Sure. Very Old Testament concept here, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, if, if you're really well-versed in the Old Testament and you go to a Catholic Mass, you feel like you've stepped back into the temple. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they removed chancel screens back in back in the 16th century, but you still have this feeling when you're there of, you know, okay, I'm here and I'm watching this guy and he's going into God on my behalf. You, you almost, you know, you're looking for, you know, that, that whole concept and it bleeds over into even, you know, low church evangelical experience because, you know, you call that sure. front area the altar, mm-hmm. you know, and or... And know. I think it even... It bleeds over into how congregates um, relate to their pastor, too. Yes. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. You know, I think if you're coming from, I don't know, what is the op? I don't know if the opposite term would be to sacerdotalism, but I think, yeah. I think on a scale, and we're going to get here, yeah. get here, you know, on a scale, probably the farthest direction is congregationalism. Sure. We're, or, or like the Grace Brethren would have this, too, right? Yeah. Where you yeah. have this... Um, perspective that we're all flat before right. God. Like there is, you know, totally quality. You know, it comes out of the priesthood of all believers. Like yes. you have that, you know, that movement that comes from Calvin that, that we're all priests. We all have access to the yeah. throne, equal access to the throne because of the cross. Um, Although Luther also talks about Luther the talks about this believers. too, right? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is interesting because you would still classify Lutheran high doctrine as high church or sacerdotal. Yeah, because a Lutheran minister is often called a lutheran priest and mm-hmm. there is a sense in that in that polity that your lutheran that your pastor is taking you to god right and so i think even in low churches you'll see that where there is you know and i appreciate you know i appreciate the kindness that people give toward me and you know respecting the work that i've done to train and prepare to be a pastor um but i also want to make sure that people recognize that we have like equal access to the throne of God and that yes. I, I am not unique in my, yeah, I'm unique in my call, but I am not unique in my standing before God. And I think maybe the sacerdotal thing would, would also say that like the, the priest or bishop would also be unique in their standing before God. They would have a different level of standing before God than the common parishioner would. Right. Right. We, we would take, we would say that as pastors, we take people to God as comrades, right? Rather than taking to people to God on as, their behalf as fathers, right? right. Or as yeah, right? Or as we're, bridges. We're we're not, you know. It's it's the difference between um, Exodus nineteen and Exodus twenty, where all of Israel is standing before God in Exodus nineteen, and the response of Israel is to say to to Moses, hmm. "This is just too scary, Moses." You go and talk for us, mm-hmm. and and whatever God says, we'll we'll hear and we'll listen. Right. I, I think the problem with sacerdotalism is actually very much wrapped up in that whole Exodus nineteen twenty understanding, and that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, Israel says whatever God says, we'll hear. Mm-hmm. You know, through you, um, but once you have that mediator, you also have a lack of responsibility, mm. and I think you see that in a lot of sacerdotal churches. It's kind of like. I don't have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with my priest. Hmm. 
Now, if you're coming from a sacerdotal background and, and I'm offending you, I, I'm sorry. It's, this is my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there's a... <clears throat> And you may not have that perspective in your sacerdotal experience. You, you may actually sure. fully grasp your personal relationship with Christ, um, and your priest isn't necessarily doing more than um, assisting you or you know walking alongside of you in that. Uh, but I think that a great many people react to that sacerdotal experience kind of, all right, well, the system you go is talk set to God. The, the, I'm going to stand here, and what happens to me here is fine. Mm -hmm. You're the one that's going to fall for it, right? That's really the that's really the way the system is set up, and it takes it takes some gumption to be able to step into that and say, "No, I'm going to own this process myself," right? Like, right. Whereas in in this in in our low church movement, like we're trying to explain to people that we all have ownership, personal ownership of our walk with God, right? Right. And right. that, you know, you, everybody needs to lean into this and you all need to, you know, we all have equal access to the throne because of the Holy Spirit, he is our high priest. Um, and, um, so therefore we all have equal accountability before sure, God too. Sure. And we also have equal access. It's the, you know, the concept of Hebrews four that says we come boldly mm -hmm. before the throne of grace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's God's invitation, not to, uh, not to a priest, but to the entire priesthood, to all of us who are called by God and have been named to sit by, and bear his name, mm -hmm. we come boldly into his presence. Oh, man. I'm thinking Hebrews just has a lot to say about priesthood, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Hebrews 9 also has that yeah. same concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think this term is going to be important because we're going to unlock some other things in future theological terms of the week. But do we right. feel like we've defined this well? Like I think so for the average person who's listening to this podcast, they're just hearing sacerdotalism as a like a priest based priest based yeah. faith if you want if you want a simple way of doing it, it is a it is a polity that is polity or church government that is priest based there is somebody who has the responsibility of mediating mm -hmm. and carrying grace to you yeah it's i remember when i pastored in new jersey which is a very catholic well the area we, i lived in new jersey was very catholic um, people who were not associated with church or were loosely associated with churches, when I met them on a professional basis, would call me father. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, like, oh, I'm a pastor. It's different, yeah. right? But yeah, I stopped a... resisting that for a lot of those folks. Yeah. I just, I mean, it would grate on me, but I would stop. Yeah, because <laughs> like I understand. Like, thanks for the respect, but this is different. Yeah, it's interesting. What's crazy is I. There have been times in my life when I have gotten more respect. Hmm from people who come from sacerdotal backgrounds and are outside of the church than you do from than I do from the people congregants who are in yeah. your yeah people yeah. who are in your congregation sure yeah. cuz just grown up differently grown up differently right right yeah it's an interesting thing so so all right so for those of you who are great listeners to our podcast like this is a this is kind of one of those cliffhanger theological terms right yes it's a good bridge term it's a priestly term yeah <laughs> bridging you pontificate <laughs> it's a it's a good bridge term um into some future conversations to help clarify uh, i think actually important distinctions i'm looking forward to getting into some of these things conversations that are coming in future episodes um because i think that there is a lot of confusion in some of these upcoming words right uh for the average congregant in a church so looking forward to getting to that but for now sacerdotalism it's it's you know a priest-based polity polity right um so there you go so that, that hopefully that'll help you out and you can you know insert that one maybe into a uh, 
conversation this week and really yeah, blow some friends' minds. minds. That's our theological term of the week. The theological term of the week. So, um, I'm, you know, we're chatting about what to talk about this week. There's always, there are always great topics. Um, and we hit some just accidentally sometimes and others that, you know, we plan on. Usually we're not, don't do a lot of planning, to be honest. But yeah, yeah the conversation, because enough happens in our world where it's like, hey, that would make a good episode. Sure. Um, and there are a lot of episodes that have yet to be recorded because we just forget. Yeah, that's true. I try to write them down, but sometimes, you know, they'll come back around. Yeah. Um, but this weekend, I, I did something kind of silly and crazy. Stupid. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm training for a race in January. Big race. Yep. It's called the Dopey Challenge. It's the most aptly named race in history. Yes. And uh, I think I've talked about this before. And if you know, if you're part of the, uh, you know, if you're part of our actual congregation, then you're aware of this one. But um, Adobe Challenge is a race at Disney um, where you run on subsequent days. You do a 5K, then a 10K, then a half marathon, and then a marathon. So those four days in a row, those four races. And right. I did this back in 2020, um, right before the whole world shut down, and it was a cool experience. Mm. But the marathon was miserable because it was a you know almost a 90 degree day and outrageous, incredibly humid, and and I suffered but finished. And so I um, I finished that race, and I thought like I could do this again. I should do this again someday. And then you know, pandemic happened, all these other things. And so up, oh, my phone is making weird noises. Imagine, it's interesting. Wow, it's interesting. All right. Don't know what that came from. Anyway, so um, sorry. At least we don't have people running lawnmowers. That's true. So um, snow blowers right now, but it would be. Yeah. yeah. So um, we uh, so I did this race. Decided I would do it again someday, and um, you know, decided this year this back. And there's all kinds of cool anniversaries happening in Disney. So you have like you know the Disney World's anniversary. Right. You have you have a big anniversary year for the marathon, a big anniversary year for the Dopey Challenge, and so I've been training for that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this year I did a, this last weekend, I did something called the, I got to think about it again, the four by four by 48 challenge. Um, it is a, a running, a personal kind of running event. And I had a group of uh, friends who were also doing this concurrently with me at, you know, different places. But the idea is you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. What a leader actually had other people doing stupid stuff. With you, it's imagine. funny, you know. This is, I'm, I, I recognize that I have influence sometimes. I remember this, you know, and it's one of those things you have to be careful of when you're somebody who has influence. Like you have to use that carefully, right? Um, and uh, so I'm in a triathlon team, and I, I knew that my, my, I knew that the Dopey Challenge was coming up in January, and I knew that about this time. Um, leading into that, I needed to peak in my mileage in order, you know, for that training to work before I like rested and tapered into the race. And so I, when I heard about this challenge, I thought that would actually be a really good um, training event to do. And so I sent something out to like the other people in my triathlon group and it turned into a group of us doing that. Um, and it, um, it was, it's hard, right? So, you know, you're waking, I started Explain on Thursday. Do. Explain so I, what do. So I started at noon on Thursday and I went for a four mile run. And then I came back, I recovered. And then at four in the afternoon, I went for another four mile run. And then at 8 p.m., I went for another four mile run. And at midnight, and then at 4 a.m., and at 8 a.m., and that kept going, that pattern 
through two nights into you know Saturday morning. So I started on Thursday at noon. My last run was Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Every four hours. And it was hard. So, so four miles yep. every four hours. Yep. For the for 48, 48 yeah. miles or 48 hours? Both. So it ends up being 48 miles over the course of those wow. two days, right? Um, and so, yeah. So it basically ran about 50 miles in two days, um, which is just, you know, it's a mind-boggling thing. And so um, the, the challenge of this is obviously the distance, but... Um, I think I was I was realizing after it was all done, you know, most people who are runners who have some sort of base level of running can run four miles. And um and you know, whatever speed you're able to do that at, I think a lot of people who are consistent runners could go out and run four miles. And one of the things that happens after you're done running is your body like will eventually just kind of tighten up and go into recovery mode. And what makes the 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 um, this event so challenging is that right when you're in the middle of recovery mode and at your like stiffest and you know most relaxed moment, that's when you have to go back out and run again. And you're also never really getting any great rest, like because it it was a lot like having infants again. Like you get that middle of the night wake right, up that's you right. know, keeping you awake for a bit, and then you've got to. You know, try and go back to sleep after it's all over, so you can get like a two and a half hour nap and start over again. And so you never quite rested, is the idea, right? And uh, it's intimidating to think about. But one of the things I was noticing myself and with this team that I managed to recruit into this event also um, is that uh, you know it became more doable over time, not less. Interesting. Uh, I was. I, you know, there was a point in which I was really miserable about halfway through, a little more than halfway through. But my last handful of runs, like my body just kind of knew what to do and it wasn't particularly hard. And I was actually felt stronger in some of those runs than I did through the middle of them. And uh, noticed that across the board of the, uh, the, the other people who also did this run. And I, I think it's interesting. I think that um, there's a few things that I was just processing as I finished this event. Like, yeah, because you had nothing else to do. Nothing else to do, right? Like, I listened to some audiobooks and watched some like stuff on streaming for the treadmill runs. But um, yeah, it, I think it, one of the first things I was talking about this with the group. And if you're on, if you follow me on Instagram, I talked about it a bit there. But I think we think a lot about our physical training or our lack thereof, and I think a lot of us understand like that that um, the the need to continue to do that with frequency, right? Like it's it's one thing to show up at the gym and lift some weights once and go back home and never lift again. And most of us know that we're not going to suddenly become like Arnold Schwarzenegger because we went into a gym one time. Right, right. Like you've got to go right. with frequency in order for that to work, right? right? Exactly. You know, so physical training... You know, as of some value. Yes. Um, I heard a famous guy say that once. And um, I actually read it. I didn't actually yeah, hear him. Yeah, you didn't say hear it. him. He was... um, yeah. So the, uh, but you, I think most of us recognize like there's a need to do that with frequency. Yes. In order for it to take and actually do something in our lives and yes. be strong enough to continue to go. One of the things I was thinking about is I think discipline is also like a muscle that needs that sort of training. Sure. It's one thing to like train our physical selves, but I think there are like there are things like grit and discipline and resilience. Yeah. That also need like frequent taxing or else we become people who really struggle to handle moments of difficulty in our lives. So this is kind of the difference um between habit and discipline hmm. in some ways you're talking. Yeah. Uh because I know that we talk about, uh, for example, we're coming up here on January 1st, 
new new calendar year. Mm-hmm. People will make resolutions. One of the resolutions that people will make is, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the thing about that is that we teach people and tell people. I don't know. We teach them as much as we inform them and give them an understanding of what's coming. Is that unless. The theory is that if you can do something for 21 days in a row, yeah. you can develop a habit. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's, that's true. You can develop a habit. I thought about this thing, too. Keep finishing yeah. your thought. Finish your thought. But, but I think that what you're saying here is that there's a difference between habit and discipline. So, mm-hmm. so you, can, you can develop that habit, but a habit you can break. This is, so this, I think the 21, this is, this is one of my thoughts over one of my runs. I think, I think only to, about, I might be wrong here, but my guess is only bad habits can be confirmed in 21 days. Oh, interesting. This is a theory of mine. Okay. So only bad habits are things that get solidified after 21 days. Okay. I think discipline can be broken at any moment. Really? Really? Interesting. So here's the thing. Yeah. Like, if I decided to not do my workout today, yeah, I wouldn't feel all that bad about it. Maybe at first. But like if I did that for two or three days in a row, like I'm, I could easily sit on the couch for the rest of my life and not run. Like I can talk myself out of the running. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, like you could be in your Bible and you could read your Bible. You can get all the way yeah. through Deuteronomy. You can get past the difficult Old Testament books into some of the story Old Testament books. Right. But miss a couple of days and suddenly be six months behind in your Bible reading plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could do the 21 days. You could do 40 days. And you could easily lose that discipline. And it may never become a habit. habit. Like you may feel bad about missing the discipline, but I think, I think bad habits can be confirmed in 21 days. But I think discipline is an exercise that needs continued effort. Interesting. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. This, yeah. Is, this, this is just, you know, it's fresh. It's something I'm working yeah. on. But it's like I could, quit, I could quit working out and I would feel bad and I could watch the results on the scale. Mm-hmm. And I would eventually know that I needed to do something to fix that. I mean, that's really my story, right? Like I grew up as an athlete and then through high school with some injuries, I stopped exercising with frequency and my weight ballooned after college. And it took, you know, it wasn't until I hit my thirties, I realized I needed to do something about that. So I had that life of discipline and it was really easy to break. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, so I think, and to, to move that out of just the physical realm, I, I think that there's another piece of that, that the resilience word is another thing, right? I think discipline allows us to build resilience. So you got three different things here, right? You got right. habits, you have disciplines, and you have resilience. Yes. And I think habits are things that you just kind of naturally do because you've, you do them all the time. And, you know, they're not always bad, but I think they're all, there are things that you just kind of build in mindlessly like i have a habit of brushing my teeth at this yeah, in this, this is certain very good. you know and i have a, my i have my morning habit there is an order yes. of operations to my morning right and some of those are positive and some of those are neither positive nor negative right? right um and some of them are negative like i have a habit of checking my phone and and like doing some scrolling before i actually pull myself out of bed in the morning right yeah i don't know that that's a positive habit yeah um and so those are habits, but then there are disciplines. Like I um, have a training plan and I, I make sure that I do my workouts right. throughout the week. Most of them. Or I, even, you know, you, and I making have, your bed. Right? Yeah. Or, it would be a discipline. It could be, right? Or, if you did and, it. I, 
And I, you know, when I'm sitting down to eat my breakfast in the morning or when I'm preparing my breakfast in the morning, I listen to or read scripture. Um, and that's a discipline on t- that is also a habit at this point, right? Um, so there are these disciplines, but then I don't know that habits produce resilience. Right. No, I don't think they do. But I think discipline does. Okay. So resilience is this ability to bounce back from difficulty. Okay. Right? Like resilience allows us to work our way through negative things in life and come out the other side, learning from them rather than being defeated by them. Okay. The old, te- the New Testament word, mm. overcomer. Overcomer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. So, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people in our world, believers and non-believers alike, in, in our culture who struggle with this idea of resilience. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, my boss was mean to me, or like life is not going my way, or uh, my 401k just got drained because of bad rates, or um, or something, you know, my marriage is not going well, and I might have to, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to think about like not, you know, continuing it, you know, the perseverance idea, yeah. right, is is, lied, is tied into that. Like, life is just getting too hard and I can't handle it. Right. And I think that comes, I think, hard, and somebody in that victim mindset where life is becoming too hard and I can't handle it will often look at other overcomers and will see those as people who are uniquely gifted or special or different. Or offensive. Or even offensive. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they will... They will look at that person with envy or or they will excuse that as they're just different or they don't have the same experiences that I have. And I think all that's false. I, we all have difficult experiences. Yes. Um, we all live in this world of sin. We all live in a world of brokenness, broken relationships and broken environment and, and, and broken and just brokenness in general. Sin impacts all of us. But I think what makes people different is their resilience. And I think discipline leads to resilience. Yeah. These are things I'm processing. What do yeah, you think about it? I, I like that. I like that. And just, you know, making an application of that. I mean, so one of the things that we see, one of the things that we see as pastors is I think that there are folks who make uh, church attendance mm-hmm. a habit. Right. Right. The problem with that is it's a habit. And therefore, if something comes along that they don't like, mm-hmm. Um, something maybe there's a conflict with another with another believer at a local church, or, or even just a conflict with another event. Like no, I have church and I have this other thing to go to. Yeah, and, soccer. Yeah, and um, I, I'm just going to go to that instead right yeah. now because you know, right? It's just you know, it's just a beautiful day. Yeah. It's great. You know, they're on the boat. Go play golf. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. So, so you have you have a habit, but then what happens is because it's only a habit, mm. and because it hasn't become a discipline, then those things come in those those beautiful days i'm going to go to go out on the boat mm-hmm. or whatever and and all of a sudden you've now broken your pattern mm-hmm. you've broken your habit and now you fall out of it yeah and it's but discipline discipline on the other hand is saying i need to be in church um there's you know there's an element of conviction involved mm-hmm. in a discipline mm-hmm. Um, because if you're convicted of the necessity of being in church uh, in this particular situation, you're going to follow through on that discipline. And when difficulties arise, you don't find yourself derailed. Yeah. It's the derailment. It's like you said, that that's, resiliency. Yeah. I think that's a, a key issue. It's not like uh, I'm, it's not like, it's not like you've been, def- 
You've been derailed. Now you've got a couple weeks off. Now you've got to rebuild your habit. Mm-hmm. And church attendance, um, Bible reading, yeah. prayer time, yep. those shouldn't necessarily be habits. They should be disciplines. Right. So that when the... And you know you've got a discipline over a habit when a hard thing comes. Mm-hmm. When... Um, when you get a tester, like, and it, yeah, yeah, like this, this event for me this weekend was a great test right. of how my training has been going. Like I, you know, I could come out, I am able to walk today with relative ease. Like I've got some soreness in my legs, but it's a great test to make sure that my, um, my discipline of frequent training was working. Yeah. And and I think that like in our in our personal lives or in our in our faith, like there are moments that come into life that are testing moments where we get to see if our disciplines are working. Like if they are things that we can re- trust and rely on for future moments. Um, me testing my physical ability this last weekend gives me confidence moving into my race in a few weeks that I will be able to stand up to that task. Right. I I have no idea how I'll perform and there are other th- there are other factors that may come into that that I can't control. Right. This will not be a 2-hour marathon. Right. No. No, not even close. But I I know that I will um having passed this momentary test, I can look forward to a future test with confidence. Right. Right. And um I don't know that you know, with just a habit of occasional running without any kind of testing, you know, you may get derailed in a situation like this instead. Like I could hit a, I could hit a race having never been tested and fail in yeah. that race. Like I, yeah. I could not finish or I, you know, I get hurt or something like that. And I've seen that entirely, like move people entirely out of this sport. Right. Yeah. And I think the same thing happens in our faith. If we don't yes. have this discipline and instead we have these habits of just, you know, I'll go to, cause I've grown up in church and but it's not something I'm consciously choosing and prioritizing. Um, then when testing moments come, it derails us and we're not able to stand up to that test and it pushes us entirely out of pursuing the faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, just putting a, a Bible spin on it. This is not a Jesus juke. This is actually, no. I appreciate you know, that. That's because right? I think we've talked about this a lot. Like right. all truth is God's truth, and I yeah. think we should be able to do this. I think it's interesting that uh, I don't think that God ever encourages us to develop habits. He encourages us to d- be disciplined, right? mm-hmm. and it's it's just the discipline concepts of uh, James, for example, uh, where James says that uh, you know. The trial of your faith works patience, mm-hmm. um, and you know patience. Patience bears fruit, and, and it's it's the perseverance of our faith that develops us. Um, we were even in uh, in Timothy. Timothy is right. reminded, full of us, you know, to be persevering, to uh, to push and to see things through. Uh, and those aren't those aren't habit words; those are discipline words. Right? Um, they're they're conscious, frequent choices. To pursue difficult things for the because that are based on your convictions, right? Like, right, right. I, because because I love Jesus, because my life has been transformed by the gospel, I'm going to choose to prioritize the things of the Lord in my life. And when I choose to do that, um, it will bear fruit. So here's another thing, right? Habit is static. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Habit habit is static. It's just what I do. It's yeah. what you do, right? Discipline is improving. Mm-hmm. 
There's always the desire to improve more. Let me give you, here's a, here's a church case in point. We're talking about church attendance, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that has come out in a lot of the latest church studies, which we had some really great podcasts, folks, on <laughs> church attendance and yeah. uh, the spiritual makeup of uh, the people of the United States. Yeah. And n- neither one of those podcasts worked. They're yeah, dead. Know. They're Sorry. lost to history <laughs> and out in the ether somewhere and yeah. never to be found, right? But one of the interesting changes that took place in how they interviewed people, mm-hmm. um, they used to interview people and ask them, are you a church attender? And if you were a church attender, to qualify, you had to attend church four Sundays a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have now lowered that. You are you are a regular church attender if you attend three Sundays out of four. Yeah, oh, I thought it was two out of four. Yeah, that's well, regular, right? Regular, yeah. right? So you you attend church regularly. And what's crazy is when I was a kid, you were a regular church attender when you, you attended three attend days a week. Yeah, three services three, a week. Yeah, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and you kind of look sideways it. at just those sun- SMOs, right? SMOs. Sunday morning only. Oh man, yeah. yeah, yeah, those are bad. But you know, so so now you've got this idea of. Three Sundays out of four makes you a regular church attender. That sounds like habit to me. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's how discipline would be attached to that. Try going back to four Sundays out of four mm-hmm. and, and think about it this way. If, if more people attended church four Sundays out of four, um, church attendance would increase. Well, yeah, Sure. Like hugely, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if we had a, if we have a church of a hundred people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, one, once you, people are regular attenders, three Sundays out of four, you know what that means? It means on any given Sunday, you have 75 people, 75 in people in church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause 25 of them are in their, are in their fourth Sunday. Yeah. So you would actually increase church attendance by 25% just by showing up mm-hmm. four Sundays out of four. Mm-hmm. And this isn't crazy. This so here's the derailing thing, right? Here's the here's the difference between habit and discipline. We fully expect people to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's a good thing to come apart. You Love know, it. to to go on vacation. We're going on vacation. Going in January. You yeah, run a long yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah. We probably should do a podcast ahead of time for that. But <laughs> you know, or you know, you can expect a hiatus in January. Yeah, either way. Uh, we'll we, surprise you. You'll find out. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's the, we all expect you to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference between whether you have a church habit or a church discipline. Mm. What do you do the Sunday you come back? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, a, we have a guy in our church who just got back from uh, a business trip to Japan. On a Saturday. Saturday night at 8 o'clock, he got back yeah. from his business trip to Japan he was here yesterday morning setting up and doing stuff before church started. Um, that tells me he has a church discipline, mm-hmm. not a church habit. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we're talking about here is we want you to move from being habit-driven, being discipline-driven, which means you are resilient yeah. when change comes into, the, it comes into the picture. Yeah, totally. Which... So there's a second piece of this too that I wanted that, you know, a, a second thing I've learned or was was noticing last night as I was sitting with Kim and they're, they're obviously related um, and we'll get there in a second. But um, so I'm in, I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling and um, 
after the girls are going to bed and between like a show, we were, you know, between them going to bed and the show we were going to queue up and watch, I'm just on there. And I have, I'm in like two um, Facebook groups for the Dopey Challenge and I'm in another one for like just the Run Disney group, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> I was noting to my wife, Kim, that most of the posts in the Run Disney group and these other Dopey Challenge groups are the... Um, the people who are barely making the time cut off and they're posting like their recent runs. Like, you know, in order to do these races, you need to maintain a, at least a 16 minute mile pace. So it's a really brisk walk or like a run, walk, jog pace. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was saying to her, like, it's interesting to me that most people who post in those groups are the people on that side of the scale and not the like six minute mile fast people. And, you know, and I, I was saying, um, that's just, it was interesting. We were talking about how like, you know, at some level, those people are kind of posting for affirmation and encouragement, right? Like right. they need that they're newer, they might be newer or they might be coming back in after injury and they're just looking for affirmation. Um, but I was telling her how, you know, in my group that I was running with in, in this challenge is we're like, you know, we had a running thread of <laughs> a running thread. We had a thread uh, on, a, on a different platform and I was probably the slow guy in that group. In that group are, you know, the one guy in that group is the fastest American long course triathlete in the United States. Wow. In okay. his age group. And then I have another guy who's, you know, travels all over the world to do these Ironmans. He did like five or six of them last year. Like that's it's just insane athletes, right? And so my time to run this for, you know, my, I think my fastest like segment was in the high 30s and my slowest segment was in the high 40s. And these guys are doing this in the mid 20 minute range, doing four miles, okay, right? Wow. So just yeah. blazing fast. And a lot of people are in that pace range. I was, saying, I was telling Kim, I felt slow. Um, and... You know, that, you know, as I compared myself to these other athletes, I was like, man, I am, I am much slower athlete than they are. And she looked at me, she's like, you still run like sub 10 minute miles. Like this <laughs> it's is crazy. Yeah. This, you're not slow. Right. And I was uh, just thinking about this comparison range, right? Like you have, you know, a group here who is excited to just be making the time cut off. And then I'm somewhere in the middle, you have this other group of people who are world-class athletes. And you can get wrapped into comparison and it can really, you know, another scriptural principle, it can really like rob joy from you. Yeah. And it can take away um, the sense of accomplishment from the exercise of this discipline. And you can lose the joy that comes from that because you're looking around at other people rather than what you've accomplished. But one of the beautiful things about this group is we all went through this challenge together and today we're all sore, whether that's the world-class <laughs> guy, he, he was posting about how sore he was and I'm sore and we've all kind of like worked through that at some level. And there's just a great value in completing the discipline together, even yeah. though we were at different places. Yeah. And uh, uh, there, there's just, there's a lot in that idea too. Like we can, we can get lost in the comparison of where we are in this process of discipline and resilience. And, you know, even in our faith, we can get lost in comparison on like this, this person's always at church. And I just feel like I'm not like, you know, the same level as they are. That person's an elder and I'm just barely like, or, you know, if you knew my backstory, then you would know, like, 
you know, I can tell that story too. Like, you know, athletically, I used to be fat. Now I'm like less fat. Like, and you know, if I, we can do these things, then we can rest on who we were, or we can talk about what God is doing in our lives and the things that he is teaching us in our moment of resilience. And we can share. Yeah. Because we at least share the same discipline. Yes. We can um, encourage one another where we are, wherever we are in this process. I don't know. It's, it's, I like that. I yeah. like that. Ooh, so here's another thing that comes out of it. Discipline requires some stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, it, this is a topic we should talk about someday. And that, that is, I think we've touched on it a little bit. But the whole concept of stress yeah, we we, uh, we live in a culture where we're trying to avoid that as much as possible, and it's not it's not good. Yeah, it's actually good to embrace some stress in your life. Yeah, you need to be stress tested. It, it builds it builds your discipline, right? But yeah. what I like is that I, the statement that I, I latched onto in your conference in your statement there was, um, "You're all sore today," mm-hmm. and and that's cool. You know what you have in you, what you have in common is is the soreness. Sure. Yeah. You know, didn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're running a 16 minute mile or a five, five minute, minute yeah. mile. Um, what you share in common is a you cross the finish line and b you're you're all hurting. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be cool if we just had a Monday morning group for post church? experience would huh, be fun you know the monday the monday morning church group which yeah. is not about you know oh i'm i'm okay if you're okay on sunday morning maybe you weren't disciplined on, on or if you were okay on monday morning maybe you weren't stressed or disciplined on sunday mm, in your spiritual walk yeah interesting thought you know yeah and there's you know we're, we're talking physical and we're talking mental in and some spiritual ways, and all spiritual, those things tied in there spiritual yeah. discipline yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Stress it out a little bit. Yeah, it's good. And I think and maybe that's the 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 landing spot here. Like because we could talk about spiritual disciplines all day long. And sure. Um I I think there was a time in my life where I avoided spiritual disciplines because I attached those to a um a type of church or a church movement that was different than mine. Almost sacerdotal. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. You know, and I think about like these you know, these uh, um, monks who, you know, who practice these spiritual disciplines and that's not who I am. I live in the freedom of the faith. And, um, and, and man, I love that the gospel gives us freedom of expression of our faith. Um, but I think a lot of us rest so firmly on that freedom of expression that we don't actually express anything. Right. And we don't actually create patterns of discipline that give us resilience, that allow us to persevere yeah. through hard times. And yeah. then we get, we end up on this sandy soil. I'm just going to link yeah. all of these thoughts together from sure. the New Testament, right? We end up on this sandy soil and we get wiped out. Because um, right. all we have are habits. All we have are habits. And, and I think, you know, the encouragement that I have come away from with this weekend, aside from feeling more prepared for a race, there's also the encouragement to continue on in these spiritual disciplines that have been foundational for my own personal walk with the Lord mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and recognizing that those spiritual disciplines have allowed me to persevere through some very difficult circumstances in my life. And I think they have also allowed me to be prepared for upcoming um, spiritual challenges that may be before me. Yes. And those may not be on the calendar. And like, that's the nice thing about a race is I can calendar those things. Yeah. 
Um, and I can't necessarily calendar when I'm going to encounter spiritual difficulty in my life. But if I get tested with some frequency in my spiritual walk, and I can make sure that I am testing my spiritual disciplines with some regularity, then I can move forward in my spiritual walk with confidence, knowing that when the test arrives or when the difficulty arrives, that I can stand under it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the power of walking closely with the Lord. Yeah, it's the power of discipline. Yeah. So just some thoughts. Good thoughts. You don't need to go run 48 miles this weekend. No. If you're capable, it's definitely an event worth trying. Yeah. Um, if you're yeah. a runner, I highly encourage doing something like this at some right. point. Um, but more importantly, like friends, get in, get into your Bibles. Yes. Um, don't wait for January 1. No. Just, you know, January 1 is just a made-up date on the calendar. You don't have to wait for January 1. It's like, you know, this time of year where people like gorge themselves on sweets because I'm going to start a diet in January 1st. Right. And now you've got an extra 10 pounds to lose because you yeah. did not have discipline in December. Yeah. Um, start now on this stuff. Don't wait for an arbitrary date. Um, and then start practicing some discipline and see if that doesn't prepare you better for difficult times. Absolutely. Right. Right. So, so there's some thoughts. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a good week and we'll see you back here next week, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher. Music by San Demetrius. And engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to Marsh Corner.